الحمد لله رب العالمين له الحمد الحسن والثناء الجميل وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له يقول الحق وهو يهدي السبيل وأشهد أن سيدنا ونبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه والتابعين لهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد وإن مدخل the introduction إلى أصول الفقه In our last lesson we defined what usul al-fiqh meant. We spoke about the definition of usul al-fiqh. We said the definition of usul al-fiqh is done in two angles, from two sides, from two perspectives. The first one we said is that we have to break usul and then fiqh. That was one. And the second one was together. Usul al-fiqh. Defining it together. And walillahi alhamdulillah, we did that last lesson, correct? We also spoke about where is usul al-fiqh derived from? Where is it taken from? And we mentioned how many? I mentioned eight. I mentioned eight. Today, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to go into how did this science, usul al-fiqh, the science that we defined, how did it start and how did it evolve and develop and the formation of usul al-fiqh, inshallah ta'ala. So today's lesson you're going to take, how this science started, how did it the history and the development and the formation and of usul al-fiqh. The way that I plan الكريم, to break down the lesson today is in the following points, insha'Allah ta'ala. I'm going to first talk about usul al-fiqh before the time of the tabi'een. Tadween usul al-fiqh qabla ahdi al-tabi'een. Usul al-fiqh before the time of the tabi'in. Again, tabi'in are who? The students of the companions. The tabi'in are called what? The students of the companions. They never met the Prophet, but who did they meet? They met the companions. They are called tabi'in. So the first one is qabla, before the time of the tabi'in. So in that time, we're going to speak about what? The time of the Prophet and the time of the companions. Then we're going to hear us speak about after the tabi'in. And when we say after the tabi'in, we mean after the tabi'in until Imam Shafi'i came. That's going to be the second one, inshallah ta'ala. So, Tadween Usul al Fiqh, Ahdul Tabi'in, at the time of the era. Of the tabi'in Their era Not before them but them How was it like? We'll speak about that inshallah ta'ala All of this is going to be summarized Khulasa, the zubda I'm going to give you the Conclusion of it inshallah ta'ala And then we're going to talk about Usul al-fiqh After Imam Shafi'i So here Imam Shafi'i is going to come here right From the tabi'in to Shafi'i That's in the second right? 
So from the tabi'in to Imam Shafi'i. And then here is going to be after Al Imam Shafi'i. The reason why we specifically said Al Imam Shafi'i, we specifically named him, you will see why, inshallah ta'ala. You will see why we didn't name the other two great Imams, Al Imam Abu Hanifa and Al Imam Malik. The reason why we didn't name them, you will see, inshallah ta'ala, soon. After Al Imam Shafi'i, the paths, the methods in which Usul al Fiqh was written is these five. After Shafi'i died, the way that it was written, the books that you hear in Usul al Fiqh, they will fall into one of these methods. Any Usul al Fiqh book you see, it's going to have to fall into one of these methods. Okay, and we're going to name some of them, inshallah ta'ala. So the first one is Tariqatul Shafi'i. Al-Imam Shafi'i's way. After he died, there were a people who came and they wrote Usul al-Fiqh in the way of Al-Imam Shafi'i. What is the way of Al-Imam Shafi'i? We will mention that soon, inshallah ta'ala. The second one is Tariqatul Jumhur. The path of the majority. And it's also called, it's called Tariqatu Al-Mutakallimin. Tariqatul Jumhur is also called Tariqatul Mutakallimin. Tariqatul Mutakallimin and the Tariqatul Jumhur are the same. If you ever hear Tariqatul Jumhur and Tariqatul Mutakallimin, they are the same. What is Tariqatul Jumhur? What is Tariqatul Mutakallimin? Don't worry, I will explain it, inshallah ta'ala. The third one is Tariqatul Hanafiya. Tariqatul Al Hanafiya. The third method, the fourth method is, the third method is the path of the Hanafiya, which is also called Tariqatul Fuqaha. If you ever hear Tariqatul Fuqaha, if you ever hear Tariqatul Fuqaha and Tariqatul Hanafiya is the same. Why is it called Tariqatul Fuqaha? What does Tariqatul Fuqaha mean? What does Tariqatul Hanafiya mean? Don't worry. I'll explain it for you, inshallah ta'ala. The fourth one is Tariqatul Jam' Bayna Bayna Tariqataini. A fourth methodology was created which reconciled between these two. They're called Al-Jam'u. They brought together Tariqatul Jumhur and Tariqatul Al-Hanafiyyah. Tariqatul Mutakallimin and Tariqatul Fuqaha. They brought them together. All together. What does that mean? Who is it? How did they do it? We'll speak about that, inshallah ta'ala, today. The fifth, inshallah ta'ala, is Tariqatul Shatibi. Shatibi is Tariqa. Al-Imam Shatibi, his way, his methodology that he took. Who is this, who is this Shatibi? What is this Tariqa? What did he do? We'll speak about that, inshallah ta'ala, soon. But what I want you to understand before I go in is the summary of the science of usul al-fiqh is this.
If you understand today's class, you've understood the framework of Usul al-Fiqh. If you want to go in more details, then that's your research and your reading. You can do that, no problem. But the framework is with you today, inshallah. You will understand some books that you've heard of before. You'll know where to put it in. Authors that you've heard, who are they? You will know where, 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 where to put them. On the other side, I wrote each of those tariqah. So here, I wrote tariqatul Hanafiyyah. And there was, a, there was a reason why I jumped what? Tariqatul Shafi'i for a reason. I mentioned these four because they're the most prominent and then the most important ones that you should know. Tariqatul Hanafiyyah, what does it mean? I'll explain it soon, inshallah ta'ala. And the two books that are written in it. There are many more, but I gave you two examples. Al-Fusul by Abi Bakr al-Jassas. Also the Risala of Abi al-Hassan al-Karqi. Tariqatul Jumhur, the Muntaha by Ibn Hajib. Ihkam al-Fusul by Abi Walid al-Baji. Al-Burhan by Abi Ma'ali al-Jwaini. Al-Lum'a by Abi Ishaq al-Shirazi. Al-Tabseera by Abi Ishaq al-Shirazi. And Al-Minhaj by Imam al-Baydawi. That's all in Tariqatul Jumhur. These were the books that were written. And Al-Jam'u Bayna Tariqatayni. These two. Bringing them together. Jam'u Al-Jawami' by Subki. Al-Tahrir by Ibn Humam. I mentioned those two because they're the most two well-known books. And then last but not least, Tariqatul Shatibi and his book, Al-Muwafaqat. We'll speak about that, inshallah ta'ala. Now I want you to all focus with me as we go through each stage, inshallah ta'ala. We'll come back to that side, inshallah ta'ala. Let's go to the Tadween Usul al-Fiqh qabla Ahdi tabi'in Brothers, I want to say first of all, any science, if you want to know that if this science is part of Islam, it has to stem back to the Prophet. Any science that does not go back to Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it doesn't root back to the Prophet, then this science, its learning is a waste of time. And it will fall under that which Allah tabarak wa ta'ala said, I mean that which the Prophet said, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min ilmin, la yanfa'a. Knowledge that doesn't benefit you. Usulul fiqh, it goes back to the Prophet alayhi salatu wa This science of usulul fiqh, it goes back to the Messenger alayhi salatu wa so it's a beneficial science. Nabi Muhammad, he placed the foundation for usul al-fiqh. He applied usul al-fiqh Nabi Muhammad, as you all know, everything he said was a what? Everything Nabi Muhammad said was a? A revelation from Allah Azza wa Jalla. صح? وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَى إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا يُوحَى Question then. If everything that the Prophet has said was a revelation, why was he getting it wrong sometimes, things that he said? Like the captives of Badr. In the battle of Badr, 70 of the non-Muslims were killed and 70 of them were taken as spoils of war. Nabi Muhammad took 70 of them. And those 70, the Prophet what did he do to the 70? 
he sold them back to Quraysh and he made money from it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he scolded the Prophet in the Quran. It is not befitting for a Prophet to be for him. Asra, a captives, and then he makes money out of it. He was told off. So there's everything that the Prophet is say is a revelation. Yeah? Huh? But you just said now that the Prophet everything that he said was a revelation, not you, Abu Salih. So he will be corrected, like, what do you mean? So how is it a revelation then? Uh-huh, beautiful. Now, Ilyas got it. There you go. Let me expand on his answer. It's a revelation from Allah Azza wa Jalla, ma'alan. The messenger was given the choice and the chance to do ijtihad. But whatever would come to the ummah would always be what's right. He would get it right, and Allah will agree with him. And no one, he will not be corrected. And if he got it wrong, he will be corrected, alayhi salatu And so whatever came to the people was a, a revelation. Alayhi kadalik, isn't that the, not the case? The end result for the people was what? A revelation from Allah, azawajalla. correct? So what was it that the messenger would do? Ah, ijtihad. Ijtihad is what? Ijtihad means the Prophet independent reasoning. He would do that. And if it was wrong, his ijtihad, he would be corrected. If he was wrong in his ijtihad, he would be what? He would be corrected and he would be told what he did was wrong. And if he was right, he a consent. Allah would not correct him, and that meant that he was that it was right. This is Usulul Fiqh. It was present at the time of the Prophet. A woman came to the Prophet and she said, Ya Rasulullah, inna ummi matat, my mother died. Wa and upon her is fasting of one month. Ramadan, one month. She never fasted. Fahal alayha shay. Is there something upon her? Then the Prophet said to her, In kana ala ummiki daynun. If there was debt upon your mother, would you pay on behalf of your mother? If your mother had debt on her neck, she took money from someone, would you go and pay that money? She said, of course I would. Then the Prophet said, The debt of Allah is most befitting to be paid for. What did the Prophet just do? Qiyas. What did he just do? He could have just said to her, what? Of course. Pay. Your mother's got it. She has to fast in the month of Ramadan? Yes. He was teaching his companions to do what? Qiyas. He was preparing them to do Qiyas. To do what? Ijtihad. Look at the Quran and over it and observe it. Pay attention. The Messenger وسلم, in Hadith in Bukhari and Muslim in Hadith Abi Huraira, the Messenger was asked about the donkey. Is there zakat that needs to be paid on behalf of the donkey? And then the Messenger وسلم, he said, ما أنزل عليه ما أنزل عليّ شيء من هذه 
Nothing was sent to me regarding the donkey. There was nothing that was sent to me regarding the what? I mean, Allah did not tell me anything. Illa ayah, except a verse. And then he read the ayah. فَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ خَيْرًا يَرَهُ وَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ شَرًا يَرَهُ Except this great verse was sent down on me, which means what? Anyone who does good, he will be rewarded for it, and anyone who does bad, he will be punished based on it. Meaning, if you, for the sake of Allah Azza wa Jalla, choose to pay money on behalf of it, then you'll get rewarded for it. And if you choose not to, there's nothing upon you. Meaning he was trying to teach his companions that this ayah to use it for something that it has nothing to do with it at this moment. Are you with me, brothers? What's he using? فَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ فَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ ذَرَّةٍ خَيْرًا يَرَى The indefinite, which is in the context of istifham شرط He's saying that if you do any good, you will see it. Any good, he's trying to use that generalization, that umum. Any good that you do, you will see it, even if it means paying for your donkey. So he was teaching his companions to be able to use the Quran, even in context that it never came down on, but if there's a generalization in it, to apply that generalization somewhere else. Are we all together? This really pushes away the argument that Islam is all about, huh? Blind following. Alan said. The messenger was nurturing his companion. After the messenger sallallahu died, he passed away. His companions, they took that path. They used to open the Quran. If there was no verse in a particular issue, first of all, look at the companions. I'm summarizing the knowledge. I mean, summarizing everything for you all. There's a lot of quotes I wanted to read, but we won't have time to go through all of this. So I'm summarizing the gist of my research. The Sahabas, if any issue happened, the first thing that they would do is they would say, is there evidence from the Quran and the Sunnah in this issue? Number one. That was their way. Because they were upon the methodology and the path, which is what? There is no ijtihad when there is evidence. There is no ijtihad there is no independent reasoning when there is an evidence. So first of all, they will say, what did Allah say? What did that messenger say? If they couldn't find, then they would go to what? Mushawara. They will sit together. And they would say, you know, what, what do you think of this issue? If they all agreed on this issue, they used their consensus as evidence. If they all agreed on the, what, what they saw, and they'll stick together and they would work on that. And if they had difference of opinion, it was all based on their ijtihad. This, is the, this was their tariqah, the sahabas. Usul al-fiqh was being applied. But can you see something here right now? Like any other science, all of this was only practical. Nothing was theoretical. When the messenger said to the woman, The debt of Allah is more befitting for you to pay than the debt on, of a human being. He didn't say to her, and by the way, this is called qiyas. He didn't say this to the woman. But they, they knew this in what way? 
They knew it practically, صح? Some of you guys speak Urdu and you speak huh? different languages. You may not know the grammatical ruling of what you just said, true or false. But if you heard somebody speak wrong, you will say, hey, what are you saying? That's wrong, man. And so when you get asked, how do you know it's wrong? How is it wrong? You scratch your head. I just know it's wrong. Because you know the language practically. And that's how it was for the companions. But I'm not saying that they wouldn't. I'm not saying they would scratch their head, okay? I wouldn't say that the Sahabas are what? I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that the companions knew usul al-fiqh in what way? It was practical. They didn't need to be told, this is general ruling, this is specific ruling, this is abrogated, this is not abrogated. The ways that you can recognize an abrogated text is like this. Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman, they didn't need that. They had it even better. They will look at the text themselves and they can get what they want out of it. The thing at this moment was, Usulul fiqh one of the important things that it stands on after the Quran and the Sunnah is the Arabic language. One of the most important things. Are we all together, brothers? And at this moment, the Sahabas were dying, they were passing away, the Arabic language was becoming what? Because how was the Arabic language changing? The people were marrying each other, not based on what country are you from or what's your ethnicity or your background or your race. People were marrying each other based on the qa'idah Allah set for them, which is inna akramakum, atqakum. That the best amongst you is the pious one. And so the, the Arabs from the companions, they would marry any other individual. Oh, because they knew this person is pious and they would marry them. And so the Arabs mixed with the non-Arabs. And so what happened? People came out that their Arabic language was weak. The Arabic language got diluted. It became weak. They were starting to not know when the text is general and when the text is specific. Things that even the Arabic language will never accept that. And no Arabs have, Arab has ever said this. People say this is what it is. So, this was the time of the Tabi'een. But the time of the Tabi'een, they have now got Al-Qur'an, Was-Sunnah. And what they, do they have? Al-Ijma'ah. At the time of the Prophet, was Kitaban? Sunnah only. No need for Ijma'ah. Ijma'ah didn't exist at the time of the Prophet. Ijma'ah is not needed because the Prophet's alive. Who cares whether the people agree or not? Muhammad can break every consensus he's, he's, So while he's alive There's no need for consent Consent was documented when? After Nabi Muhammad That's when we need it Are we all together brothers? So the tabi'een started to take the Quran The sunnah And the what? Ijma' The consensus of the sahabas And also they started to take a fourth evidence Which was the qiyas Qiyas is a what? Analogy What was the analogy? I just told you Faydinullahi when the Prophet gave an analogy to this woman Qiyas is an analogy when you compare two things This woman she asked My mother has fasting to pay The messenger said If your mother had money that she had to pay back Would she pay back? She said yes He said this is the debt of Allah Allah's debt is more bigger than the person's debt you're going to pay He compared the two Qiyas The Qiyas is Bi'ijma' 
That's a hujjah. The qiyas is a proof by consensus. Ah, ah, ah. The Prophet did a qiyas here right now for the Sahabas to teach them to use this method. Qiyas is a proof by consensus and don't give importance to Ibn Hazm and Abu Dawood al-Zahiri who reject the qiyas. Because what did we just say? If Nabilahi Muhammad did it, then anyone, what they say after that is not taken into consideration. And the Sahabas all accepted Qiyas and they used to do Qiyas and no Sahabi rejected from another companion Qiyas analogy. So the Tabi'een, what were they doing? The evidences were becoming more for them. Quran, good. Sunnah, good. Ijma', good. Qiyas, good. But it's still practical. No one's writing anything. It's just practical at this stage. But they have these four whenever they argue. The Quran, they can't find it. In the Sunnah, they can't find it. Is there a consent? No. They will go to Qiyas. An analogy. At this stage, Al-Imam al-Shafi'i came. Who came? Number two, stage number two. Who came? Muhammad ibn Idris al-Shafi'i came. Al-Imam al-Shafi'i saw, at that time, two great madhabs. What did he see? Two great forces, forces in the Muslim world. Big forces. The first force was Ahlul Ra'i. They were the first force. Ahlul Ra'i was Abu Hanifa and those who were Ahlul Kufa, the people of Kufa. Are we all together? And the second force of scholars was the people of Ahlul Hadith. Ahlul Ra'i, Ahlul Ra'i, and Ahlul Hadith. And Imam al Shafi'i, he went to Iraq. Where did he go? <laughs> he went to Iraq. Imam Abu Hanifa. Imam al Shafi'i. Where did he go? He went to Iraq. And the people of Ahlul Ra'i, they were in Iraq, Kufa specifically. When you hear Ahlul Ra'i, remember, it means the people of Iraq, generally speaking. Especially Kufa. And Imam Abu Hanifa went to Iraq. When he went to Iraq, he met the student of Imam Abu Hanifa. Imam Shafi'i didn't meet Abu Hanifa because the year Abu Hanifa died was the year Abu Imam Shafi'i was born. Imam Shafi'i was born the year 150 Hijri, right? That same year, Al-Imam Shafi'i was born, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa died. So they say, Mata Imamun wa wulida Imamun. An Imam died and another Imam was born. Al-Imam Shafi'i, he met, and he was in his teens, teens, teens. They say he was 13, 14, 15, 16, teens. He didn't reach 19 yet. Al-Imam Shafi'i. He went and he met Al-Imam Muhammad ibn Hassan al-Shaybani in Iraq. He didn't meet Abu Hanifa, I just told you. Abu Hanifa died, he's gone. But he met the student of who? Abu Hanifa, Muhammad ibn Hassan al-Shaybani. And he stayed with him. And he discussed things with him. And he had discussions with him. And the discussions that they had was... There's many discussions that they had back and forth. 
But one of the discussions that was documented that they had was Al-Imam Shafi'i said to Muhammad bin Hassan Shaybani I'm going to ask you a question for the sake of Allah Be honest and give me an honest answer Muhammad bin Hassan Shaybani said I will promise you I will give you an honest answer He said who's more knowledgeable Al-Imam Malik or Al-Imam Abu Hanifa This is a representation of two madhabs Al-Imam Abu Hanifa is representing what? Ahlul Ra'i and Al-Imam Al Malik is representing what? Al-Hadith Muhammad ibn Hassan al-Shaybani responded and he said Now he said to him, who's more knowledgeable in the Qur'an? The book of Allah, who's more knowledgeable? And I ask you, by Allah, tell me the truth Al-Imam Muhammad ibn Hassan al-Shaybani said to Shafi'i Malikun Imam Malik knows the Quran more than Imam Abu Hanifa. Here we're not talking about the Hivd, they're all Hufad. They are all what? They're Hufad, they Hivd is there. We're talking about the power to look at the Quran and extract so much out of it. He said, Who knows the Sunnah more, Imam Malik or Imam Abu Hanifa? Second question. By Allah, tell me the truth, Muhammad ibn Hassan. Muhammad ibn Hassan al-Shaybani said to Imam al-Shafi'i, Malik. Then Shafi'i said to him, the third question I'm not going to ask you, reason is because, what do you do qiyas on the Qur'an and the sunnah? If Imam Malik knows the Qur'an more, and he knows the sunnah more, then what else do you do qiyas on other than them two? And all of the books that I read, after that, the debate, nobody mentions what happened after. It just stops there. The point is, they used to have all of these types of discussions. Different issues were discussed. And you can imagine, Billahi alaykum, a young boy, he's sitting with a great imam. Muhammad al-Hassan al-Shaybani is an imam. Are we all together? And Muhammad al-Hassan al-Shaybani took knowledge from Imam Malik as well. And he is one of the ruwat, one of the narrators of the muwatta. Muhammad al-Hassan al-Shaybani, there's a riwayah of Muhammad al-Hassan al-Shaybani from Imam Malik. So he knows Imam Malik and he knows Imam Imam Abu Hanifa Muhammad Hassan al-Shaybani knows both When he's saying this one is more knowledgeable He knows what he's talking about Imam al-Shafi'i Something came out from this for him Which was when he came to Iraq He saw the hostility The hate That the people of Ra'i had for the people of Hadith And the people of Hadith had for the people of Ra'i He saw it was a boiling the Situation was tough and he felt that there was something right, right with Ahlul Ra'i. They had things, they had things that they were writing. And he saw Ahlul Hadithi, they were also something. They were also writing some things. And I want to remind you something. Some people, because of a particular group, Shaykh Al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah said this, because of a particular group that they might oppose, they reject everything that the group comes with, even if it's the truth in it. And the other group does the same to the other group. Because they hate that group, everything that's with them, they reject it. And then Shaykh Al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah brought the example of The Jews, they said to the Christians, you guys are upon nothing. And the Christians said to the Jews, you guys are upon... And Allah said the truth was 
Part of it was with the Jews, part of it was with... Part of the, each part they had some things. The truth can sometimes be in the mouth and in the heart of someone else who opposes you. Take it from him because it's your lost property. It is your... It's your lost property. Just because it came from someone you don't like, don't reject it. Take it. Because you're going to reject the what? You're going to reject the truth. You're going to reject the truth. It's important. So the Ahlul Ra'i rejected the people of Hadith. And the people of Hadith rejected the people of Ra'i. They rejected each other. And so Imam Shafi'i came to the masjid in Iraq. And what did he see? He saw in one masjid there were two halaqah. Ahlul Ra'i was studying. Ahlul Hadith was studying. No one talking to anyone. No one wants to take. What did he do? He looked up the sky and he said, Allah, Allah will show me that these two groups of people come to me. You know, I bring them together. I find a way to bring these two groups upon the haq, something that can bring them together. And he then took a path which was what? Al-Imam Shafi'i, he took a path of authoring a book known as Al-Risala. He wrote this book called Al-Risala. This is where he used the science of Usul al-Fiqh. He was the first one to write it. So what did he do? He took from the Ahlul Ra'i their usage of Qiyas and how they use Qiyas and the types of Qiyas and their ways of looking at the text. He took that from them. And the people of Hadith, how they were staunch and tough on Hadith and the honoring and the veneration of Hadith, he took that from them. Because the people of Ra'i, they would accuse the people of Hadith of just being narrators and not having no fiqh. Just narrate, you don't know what you're talking about. You can narrate many Hadiths, but you don't know what's in it. And the people of Hadith were accusing the people of Ra'i to be what? Stubborn, hard-headed people against the text. Are you with me? That's what both parties were saying. Shafi'i brought a way to reconcile between the two. Once he wrote that book, the imams of his time, they were mind-boggled. They were gobsmacked. They were lost of words. What is this that you wrote? This is where the scholars, they say, he was the first one to author in this science, Usul al-Fiqh. The poet, he said, وَأَوَّلُ مَنْ أَلَّفَ فِي الْكُتْبِ مُحَمَّدْ بِنُ شَافِعِ الْمُطَّلِبِ وَغَيْرُهُ كَانَ لَهُ سَلِيقَ مِثْلُ الَّذِي لِلْعُرْبِ مِنْ خَلِيقَ The first person, وَأَوَّلُ مَنْ أَلَّفَ The first one to author in this science was Muhammad ibn Shafi'i al-Muttalibi Imam Shafi'i وَأَوَّلُ مَنْ أَلَّفَ فِي الْكُتْبِ Muhammad ibn Shafi'i al-Muttalibi وَغَيْرُهُ كَانَ لَهُ السَّلِيقَةِ And those who came before him, they knew usul al-fiqh naturally Because you might think to yourself If Shafi'i was the first one to write usul al-fiqh Then are you saying that the Prophet and the companions didn't know usul al-fiqh? No, they knew it naturally and when we say Shafi'i wrote it, what do we mean by it? We mean he wrote it as a science. He wrote the theoretical side of it. The theory side of it, Shafi'i was the first to write it. As for, its, as for its, it being applied and its practicality, then it was way before Shafi'i. Ah, he speaks about the abrogated, the general, the specific. He goes. But as you all know, brothers, any science that's written... Any science that's written, it can, the first person who authors is not going to what? He's not going to bring everything. 
He cannot. He's just going to place down the foundations and that. And then what comes after, they add onto it whatever he missed out, they organize it, they shuffle it around, and etc. And he got worked on until we see the books that we have today. Now, I want to mention one thing. Al-Imam al-Shafi'i's Kitab al-Risala, it was narrated from him by his student Rabi' al-Musulman al-Muradi. You all know who Rabi' al-Musulman al-Muradi is right now, sah? Because we took him in our fiqh class. When you read al-Risala, and you really read it, and you look at it and you observe it, first of all, you're going to be shocked with Shafi'i's language, the Arabic that he uses, Allah Mubarak. You can see he was an imam in the Arabic language. The way he just uses the words and the way he points out things and you could see he's not struggling with the language. Some people when they speak, you can see, and when they write, you can see it's not natural, the way that you're writing. It's like you're trying too hard. Huh? What are you doing? You're trying to? Too hard. Shafi'i's words were flowing. Rhythm. Where he spoke. Mastered the language. The beauty about that book as well is, it's written in what is known as his book, Usul and Fiqh together, written by each other. He gives you the Usul, he gives you the Fiqh. He gives you the Usul, he gives you the Fiqh. And he argues. And one of the beautiful things that Imam Shafi'i did to really encourage people to read his works, and many people, subhanAllah, don't attribute this to Imam Shafi'i, which is in persuasive communication when they're teaching it. Persuasive communication. And how to articulate your point and to persuade people and whatnot. One of the things that they mention as one of those personal development books that they write. What's it called? Fast. No, think fast and what's it called? Think fast is whatever they call it. I forgot the author's name. I read it a long time ago. Because I, I already think fast anyway. So, so uh, but one of the things that they mention is if you're going to do a public speech, First of all, to start off the session, they say, make sure that you ask a question and make sure that you make your, uh, your, your presentation in a question format to engage the people. Sahih? Our, our fuqaha did that way before that. And Imam Shafi'i, if you read his kutubs, he wrote it in a question and answers method. Where he asks the question and he argues back. He writ it in a way where two fuqaha are arguing. I mean, I don't want to use the term that's generally used. They call it devil's advocate. That's what they say, but I don't want to use that word. But Shafi'i, rahimahullah, he played both roles in bringing the arguments. If you read his works, that's how he writes them. To engage you, you're like, okay, subhanAllah, that's a good point. Oh, wow, Allah, he responded, Allahumma barik. And great scholars have done that. That shows you that they were ahead of their time. Ala kulli hal, Shafi'i, rahimahullah, when he died, his students, Rabi' ibn Sulaiman al-Muradi, Ismail ibn Yahya al-Muzani, and other people, what they did was, they carried on his way, like meaning Imam Shafi'i's way. Two great scholars, especially Ibn Suraj and Ibn Mulaqin, um, Ibn, sorry, uh, Ibn Qattan, sorry, Ibn Suraj and Ibn Qattan, and Al-Sayrafi and others, they wrote books in explaining the Risala, working on Al-Risala, but none of them reached us. And I want you guys to understand this. Shafi'i, after him, his book was served, it was worked on by Al-Sayrafi, by Ibn Qattan, uh, by Ibn Suraj and others. They worked on it. These were the students of Shafi'i, those who met Shafi'i, those who knew Shafi'i. 
pay attention here. But none of those books reached us. They all got lost. And there's a point I want to come to. After that, Shafi'i's works got paused. This is what shocked me the most. He was the first one to write in Usul al-Fiqh. And what happened was, it got, it's like it went halt. It just like it got erased from his... The book is there. But right after that, the people who came, it's like they didn't give anything to Shafi'i's books. And they didn't use it. So now you know when I say Tariqatul Shafi'i, what was the Tariqatul Imam Shafi'i? Usuliyun Fiqiyun. It was a Usuli Fiqi way. Where he, he teaches you, Wallahi, the Quran and the Sunnah, how it has every answers. He gives you delete from the Quran and the Sunnah like that. But when he died, those some scholars that I mentioned, Ibn Surayj, Sayrafi, uh, Ibn Qattan, and others, they worked on it. And when they died, it was Tariqatul Jumhur Satir. Now, Tariqatul Jumhur, which is the one that we're going to see here, inshallah ta'ala, I'm going to show you the books, inshallah ta'ala. Tariqatul Jumhur is called the Tariqa of the majority. You all know what Jumhur means, right? What is it called? Jumhur means? And what did I say is also known as Tariqatul Mutakallimin. Okay, let me explain why it's called Tariqatul Jumhur and why it's called Tariqatul Mutakallimin and what's this Tariqa? This Tariqa is called Jumhur because how many madhabs are there? Generally speaking, four main madhabs. The three are inside here. The Malikiyya and the Shafi'iyya and the Hanabila. That's why it's called the Jumhur, majority. Because Abu Hanifa is by himself. And the three are more than the one in number, are they not? Does that make sense? The reason why it's called Jumhur is three madhabs. Malikiyya, Shafi'iyya and the Hanabila are together. Their principles are generally the same. They're not far-fetched. Generally the same. Are we all together, brothers? And so these three madhabs, all of the fuqaha and the scholars within that, within that madhab, are they not more than the Hanafiya? Of course they're more than the Hanafiya. So that's why they call Tariqatul Jumhur, the path of the majority. Does that make sense first? Does everyone here understand you? Second name is called is what? Tariqatul Mutakallimin. Why is it called Tariqatul Mutakallimin? This allows you to understand this way, this method, with this, this name, Tariqatul Mutakallimin. Once you understand it, you will understand the methodology. This method is based upon principles. What is it based upon? Qawa'id. Principles. And it doesn't have much examples. What does it not have? It doesn't have. It's based upon ta'seel. It's based upon usul and qawa'id and principles. And so you're not going to find what? So you're going to be reading 400 pages and you haven't come across one ayah, one hadith to support this qawa'id that you've, start, that you've read in those 400 pages. So that's why it's called tariqatul mutakallimin. Why mutakallimin? Because the mutakallimin generally just talk too much and they don't mention evidences. Are we all together? Am I making sense here? When I give you the books, inshallah ta'ala, we'll speak more about it. Tariqatul Hanafiya. It is. Ha. 
the people of Ilmul Kalam generally they mention their points and their belief, the articles, but they won't mention for you what? Adilla. Because too much in, in, in there is too much kalam, speech. That's why the Ilmul Kalam was mentioned. Am I making sense there? But there, are, there is another usage for Ilmul Kalam. Some of the Salaf did use Ilmul Kalam as Aqeedah generally, as a synonym for Aqeedah. Some scholars did use it for that. It's another subject. Yeah, which is philosophy and all of that. Naam. But the reason why they mention Tariqatul Mutakallimina, they mean the similarity between. It's nothing to do with Aqeedah, yeah. Oh, it's nothing to do with Aqeedah. It's just merely the resemblance that they have in terms of the way that these people wrote in their Usul al Fiqh is the way that the Ahlul Kalam wrote their Aqeedah books. Similar. That's why it was called Tariqatul Mutakallimin. Does that make sense? I'm going to come in great details in some strong points, inshallah. The Hanafiya were different. Oh, the Hanafiya, when, when it comes to Usul al Fiqh, it's easier to study the Hanafi Usul al Fiqh than any other madhab. Why? They focus on Tamthil, examples. They focus on examples. Tariqatul Hanafiya is based upon many examples. And they, they extract the ruling from their Imam. And Imam Abu Hanifa's statements, they've been qawaid out of it. A lot of the qawaid of the Hanafiya is built upon what? The statement of the Imam, and it's not much when it comes to the deal of the Quran and the Sunnah. Are we all together? And this is a whole different discussion I don't want to go into right now, which is sometimes you, you see people that you have dialogues and discussions with, with and they'll say to you, this principle says this, what are you going to say? And if you really historically followed that principle, you would actually realize that it has no textual evidence for it. Are we all together? It has no textual evidence for it. And this came from the problem of studying Tariqatul Jumhur, which is based upon principles, 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 no examples, no evidences, nothing like that. But Alhamdulillah, recently, all these books that you study, like Al Warakat, when you study the Qawaid and whatever, what do they give you straight away? They give an ayah, hadith to support it. Now, the fourth one is a group of scholars who came and they reconciled between the two. They took all of the principles that were mentioned and in the way that they were mentioned and they tried to find examples for it. Tamthil. They reconciled between the two ways. And the best book in this is called Jam'ul Jawami' by Subki. Subki's kitab, Jam'ul Jawami', do you know how many books he took it from? A hundred books of Usul al-Fiqh. This kitab, Jam'ul Jawami' by Subki. Jam'ul Jawami' is written on, on the other page, you're going to see it. It is taken min mi'atu kutub, a hundred books of Usul al-Fiqh. That's why it's called Jam'u al-Jawami'. He gathered it all. And you know what he said? He said, under every letter in my book, there's a pearl under it. Huh? Under every letter in this book, there's a durra, there's a pearl, pearl, a jewelry. What does he mean by that? He means no one can summarize this book. It's impossible. I took it from 100 books and I summarized it. Are we all together? You cannot summarize it. Like in some of the scholars, they didn't accept that. They tried to summarize it. You can say it if you want to, but we'll try. And from the scholars that try to summarize it is Zakaria al-Ansari. He summarized it in a book called Lubbul Usul. 
tried to make it lesser. And then he explained it, he called Ghayatul Wusul. And the scholars, they said he missed out a lot. What did he do? He missed out a lot. Tried to summarize it. Jamal al-Jawami' is one of the hardest and the most complicated books in Usul al-Fiqh. It's a solid book. But we'll go more details, inshallah ta'ala, later. We'll speak about it later. The last one is Tariqatul Shatibi. Tariqatuhu? Tariqatul Shatibiyah. Tariqatul Shatibi. Shatibi here is not Abu al-Qasim ibn Firruh al-Shatibi. Abu al-Qasim ibn Firruh is which one? The Qari. That wrote the kitab Hirzul Amani wa Chutahani. Iqiraati Sabah, sah? The one that wrote the Lamiya. Bada'at to be Bismillahi. Bada'at to be Bismillahi. بدأت ببسم الله في النظم أولا تبارك رحمن الرحيم وموئلا نظم نظم إسلامية إن قراءات قراءات الإمام الشاطبي his name is called Abu Qasim al-Shatibi that's another Imam we're not talking about that one there's another one who came a hundred years later hundred years later his name is called Abu Qas Abu Abu Ishaq his name is Abu Abu Ishaq Abu Ishaq al-Shatibi that's who we're talking about here. Abu Ishaq al-Shatibi. Abu Ishaq al-Shatibi, he has two masterpiece work. One is his Kitab al-I'tisam, and the other one is this Kitab al-Muwafaqat. Allah. This book, al-Muwafaqat. Yeah? He wrote another Kitab called al-I'tisam, where he talks about holding on to the Sunnah and the dangers and the evil of what? Innovation. Masterpiece. This Kitab al-I'tisam is an amazing book by Imam al-Shatibi. But we won't go into that now. We won't go into that now. We'll talk about al-Muwafaqat. This methodology that Shatibi here wrote, Abu Haqq al-Shatibi, is not a method that was done by anyone before him. He took a tariqah known as al-Maqasid. Maqasid al-Shari'ah. Who's heard of Maqasid al-Shari'ah? What's the best translation for Maqasid al-Shari'ah? The objectives of the Shari'ah. Huh? The aims of the Shari'ah. Objective. Ah. What did the Usul Fiqh here is based upon the objectives of the Shari'ah. The objectives of the Shari'ah. What, what did Islam come to achieve? What's the objective that the Shari'ah wants to achieve? One of the objectives that Sharia wants to achieve is what? تحصيل المصالح وتكميلها ودرء المفاسد وتقليلها One of the things that our religion wants to do is bring about good and increase it. If it to make it 100%. If it can't, at least bring a lot. If it can't, repel the evil. If it can't repel the evil in its totality, at least reduce it. This is a maqsad shar'i. This is a what? An objective of the Sharia. Shatibi, what he did was he based Usul al Fiqh on the objectives of the Sharia. And that's another discussion itself. I want us, inshallah ta'ala, in the little time that we've got left, I want us to go into the majority of us. We don't go for except Tariqatul Jumhur, right? Tariqatul Jumhur is what majority of us study. And that's the what is the majority. So let's just discuss that, inshallah ta'ala. Tariqatul Jumhur stems from four main books. 
That's the reality. Where does it stem from? Four main books. The first kitab is Al-Umad, Al-Umdah, sorry. Written by Abdul Jabbar. Al Qadi Abdul Jabbar. Umad is the correct way of saying it. Al Qadi Abdul Jabbar. The first book is written by who? Al Qadi Abdul Jabbar. The second kitab is called Al Mu'tamad. Al Mu'tamad, written by Al Qadi Al Hassan Al Basri. Al Hussein, sorry, Al Basri. القاضي الحسين البصري كتاب المعتمد sad enough these two men ومعتزلة what were they? what were they? معتزلite have you seen معتزلite the third person is um, Al-Burhan by uh, Al-Juwaini Abi Ma'ali Al-Juwaini Al-Imam Al-Haramain the author of Al-Waraqat and the second third one is Al-Mustasfa Al-Mustasfa by Al-Ghazali these two last ones are Ashairah So it's huh. the second is second one is Al Mu'tamid. Sorry. Is Al Mu'tamid. These are the four books that the Usul al Fiqh books came from. These four books, two written by the Mu'tazila, or a deviated group, and Asha'ira, another deviated group. Two groups, Mu'tazila and Asha'ira. Two people summarized all four of the books. The Zubda, the Khulasa, the summary in it. The first one is Al-Raziyu. And the second one is Al-Amidi. Al-Razi, he summarized it in his kitab, Al-Mahsul. Al-Amidiyu, he summarized it in his Al-Ihkam. Ash'ari and another Ash'ari. Al-Mahsul. Al-Ihkam, Al-Ihkam. Pay attention here. 
What's they, he summarized the khulasa and he summarized the khulasa. Here the question is, what is the difference between the, the, the two of them? It seems like Ar-Razi has more evidence. He provides more evidence for his arguments in comparison to Al-Amidi. Amidi is less evidence. Amidi focuses more on the different madhahibs, the different madhabs in issues, and he tries hard tafri'ul masail. What comes out of these masail? What is it that comes out from it? Instead of focusing more on the evidence side. Are we all together? One man by himself. I can personally say spent a great portion of cleansing a lot of what's in these books. The Umad by Al-Qadi Abdul Jabbaran, Al-Mu'tamad by Al-Hussein Al-Basriyu, uh, the Kitab, the Kitab uh, Al-Burhan by Abi Ma'ali Al-Juwayni, and Al-Mustasfa by Abi Hamid Al-Ghazali, four of those books, and what is in it, and the Mahsul, and the Ihkam, one man spent a good portion of his life cleansing all of that which a Mu'tazili and Ish'ari wrote together was Al-Imam Ibn Al-Qayyim in his Kitab I'lam Al-Muqqi'in that Kitab is a book لا يستغني منه الطالب العلم a student of knowledge cannot be without it what's it called I'lam Shaykh Ibn Bazi said this is the book of Islam who said that Shaykh Ibn Baz said this Kitab al-I'lam is the book for a, a book of Islam. Are we all together? How powerful that book is. I'lam al-Muqi'in. Al-Rabbi al-Alamin, he called it. Shaykh al-Islam Taymiyyah, of course, before him spent time doing it, but not like how Ibn al-Qayyim brought it all in one place. Ibn Taymiyyah, you have to look in different works of his. There is another person who really, he took the Kitab al-Mustasfa by Abi Hamid al-Ghazali and he got rid of all of the Masail uh, al-Mantiqiyya the, the philosophical arguments He got rid of them And he left just the usul al-fiqh part of it Because the mustasfa is two things By Abu Hamid al-Ghazali What are they? Usul al-fiqh and Masail al-Mantiqiyya What did this Imam do? He got rid of the Masail al-Mantiqiyya And he left the Masail al-Usuliyya and his name is Ibn Qudama al-Maqdisi. You all know Ibn Qudama, right? Ibn Qudama wrote a kitab where he summarized the mustasfa. It's called Rawda. Rawda al-Nadir. Wajannatu. al-Munadir. And that's the book they teach in Jamia Islamiyah, University of Medina. The student, when he's studying, Usul al-Fiqh, he studies from this kitab, Rawdatul Nadir wa Jannatul Munadir. The Rawdatul Nadir wa Jannatul Munadir by Ibn Qudam al-Maqdisi, where was it taken from? The Mustasfa of Muhammad al-Ghazali. He took it and he got rid of everything that he said that was wrong and he used it. We all together. the poet, he said, كَفَ الْخَلْقِ بِالْكَافِ وَأَقْنَعَ طَالِبًا بِمُقْنِعِ فِقْهٍ عَنْ كِتَابٍ مُطَوَّلِ وَأَغْنَى بِمُقْنِعِ الْفِقْهِ مَنْ كَانَ بَاعِتًا وَعُمْدَتُهُ مَنْ يَعْتَمِدْهَا يُحَصِّرِ وَرَوْضَتُهُ ذَاتُ الْأُصُولِ كَرَوْضَةٍ وَرَوْضَتُهُ ذَاتُ الْأُصُولِ كَرَوْضَةٍ أَمَاسَتْ بِهَا الْأَزْهَارُ أَنْفَاسَ شَمْأَلِ تَدُلُّ عَلَى الْمَنْطُوقِ أَوْفَى دَلَالَةٍ وَتَحْمِلُ فِي الْمَفْهُومِ أَحْسَنَ مَحْمَلِ I don't want to explain it. It's too much information in there. It doesn't concern us now. But all I was trying to, I said in those lines of poetry is, 
that this book is one of the books of Ibn al-Qudama. Rawdatul Nadir wa Jannatul Munadir. Okay. Jameel. This is Tariq. And then after that, of course, came many other books um, that we see. And we're going to see them quickly, inshallah ta'ala. And we're going to conclude there, bi-idhnillah al-kareem. Tariqatul Hanafiyya, al-Fusul, by Abi Bakr al-Jassas. And also, Abi al-Hassan al-Karqi. I forgot something that I should have mentioned. When Al-Imam al-Shafi'i's period finished, where did it start from? Who revived Usul al-Fiqh again? When I say revive, uh, not revive, but who started it again after, because I told you there was a gap, Shafi'is stopped. It was Al-Karqi, who was a Hanafi. So they say he was there. After Al-Imam Shafi'i, they said he was the first one to write. It's called Risalatu Al-Karqi. And also somebody else wrote it. Who is it? Abu Zayd al-Dabusi, who is also a Hanafi. Abu Zayd al-Dabusi, he wrote a kitab called Ta'asisu al-Nadar. And also another kitab called Taqwim al-Adilla. Ta'asisu al-Nadar and Taqwim al-Adilla. Ta'asisu al-Nadar, Abu Mudhafra al-Sam'ani responded to it in his kitab, Qawatu al-Adilla. This is where the rivalry between Shafi'iyah and the Hanafiyah started. Because the Shafi'iyah believe what? We started Usul al-Fiqh. It's ours. Don't claim it. Hanafiyah said, what are you talking about? You know what? We're going to not only claim it, but we're going to start our own way of doing it. Hanafi wanted to do that. So they created their own way. Are we all together, brothers? Tariqatul Jumhur, this is it. Ibn al-Hajib, he wrote the Muntaha. Abi Walid al-Baji, he wrote Ihkam al-Fusul. Abi Walid al-Baji was at the time of uh, Ibn Hazm. And him and Ibn Hazm used to have a back and forth, and they used to argue a lot. Al-Burhan, by who? Abi Ma'ali al-Jwaini. By the way, Abi Ma'ali al-Jwaini has a little kitab called what? Al-Waraqat, right? Al-Waraqat. You see, Al-Waraqat, he wrote it for? What's, what's, what does Al-Waraqat mean in Arabic? Pages. Al-Waraqat is for between Dhuhr and Asr. You're meant to read it and understand it. That's just, it's like an introduction for these sciences. It's like the front page and the front... Yeah? For, yeah, just the front, you know, just when you, before you write a book, the author talks about his life and his little, why he wrote this book and everything. The introduction. This is what the waraqat is. He refused some issues in al-waraqat himself. Abi Ma'ali al-Jwaini. Why does he do that? Because he, now he knows you're, you're a student of knowledge, you can take it. But at that time, he's giving you baby knowledge. Uh, because you're still a baby. Al-Lum'a by who? Abi Ishaq al-Shirazi. You see, what's the shocking thing is, what did I mention? When you come to this science of usul al-fiqh, if you did not study aqidah to ahli sunnah wal-jama'ah, and you haven't studied books of the aimah al-salaf, when you come into usul al-fiqh, it will tamper with your aqidah. You have to come with a correct belief. Because the people who we're talking about, these are asha'ira, mu'tazila, these are the people who wrote it. Like in this man, Abu Ishaq al-Shirazi, his kitab, Shaykh al-Islam, Ibn Taymiyyah, praised it. Al-Lum'a by Abu Ishaq al-Shirazi, Shaykh al-Islam praised it. It doesn't have that philosophical arguments and whatnot. It's actually an amazing book. If you were to buy that book, make sure you find with it some of the benefits of Jamaluddin al-Qasim is on there and etc. Al-Lum'a by Abishaq al-Shirazi. They, they level the Lum'a of Abishaq al-Shirazi with the Lubbul Usul by Zakari al-Ansari. Zakari al-Ansari's Lubbul Usul 
which is the summary of Jam'ul Jawami' and the Lumah. They, they say which one is better. Without a doubt, the Lumah of Shirazi is better. Tafsira by Shirazi and the Minhaj of Al-Baydawi. This book, Al-Baydawi's Minhaj, it has more than a hundred explanations. How many? More than a hundred. You know why it became so famous? The Ottoman Empire. At the time of the Ottoman Empire, this book, they, they pushed it and they... When you have a government backing your work, SubhanAllah, Allahumma barik, it's going to reach everywhere, yeah? It's going to reach. It's going to reach everywhere. So he, he didn't just have a government, but he had an empire. Or a khilafah that was pushing it. Here then they came, Al-Jam'u Bayna Tariqataini. They basically brought all of the tariqah together. Made everything easy. And this is where the overwhelming majority of people stop Al-Salam. No one really passes this level. You don't tend to find people reading these ones. Very little. Are we all together, brothers? This is left just for the printing pages. and yeah, just, yeah, just kept there. It's kept on the shelf. People just... People are not even doing Jamal Jawamir. We're all together. This is baby compared to these stuff. These are talking about volumes, four or five volumes, some of them. Jamal Jawamir by Subki. The Jamal Jawamir, two poetries have been made out of it. Poetries you can memorize. One is Kokabu um, Salter. Have you ever heard of Who's heard of Kokabu Salter? No one. Well, let, it, hey, let it go to your ears now. Kawkab al-Sati'i. Kawkab al-Sati'i is Suyuti, Jalaluddin al-Suyuti. Does everyone here know Suyuti? Put your hand up if you don't know Suyuti. Everyone knows who Jalaluddin al-Suyuti is? Jalalu... Huh? Huh? What else would he be? What other madhab? Suyuti, rahimahullah, the author of the kitab Al-Itqan. We took it right? Al-Ulum al-Quran. Suyuti, he's made poetry out of the Jam'ul Jawami' he made it into 1,400 lines of poetry it's a bit big right? Um, then another sheikh came from uh, Mauritania his name is Abdullah ibn Hajj al-Shanqiyatiyu and then what did he do? he went to Jam'ul Jawami' and he summarized the whole book in 1,000 lines of poetry and he called it Maraqi Su'ud Limubtaghir Ruqiyi Was Su'ud. Abdullah ibn Hajj al-Shanqiti. Qala Muhammad, he said, what did he say? Qala Abdullah, yaqulu Abdullahi wa huwa artasama sumallahu wal alawiyu al-muntama. A thousand lines. In what subject? Usul al-fiqh. That's the book that people should try to memorize. Maraqi Su'ud, try to memorize it. Keep it with you. If you do, you have a good knowledge of Usul al-Fiqh. And if you take the, the Nathr al-Bunud and the Nashr al-Bunud and the Huli al-Raq, what's it called? Huli al-Taraqi, I think it's called. That's a very good sharah. There's another nice sharah that's put on it. Um, yeah. The author himself has a sharah on it. Like in the Huli is a very good sharah. Ala kulli hal, we'll leave it there, inshallah. At-Tahrir by Ibn Humam. And last but not least, Al-Muwafaqat by Imam Al-Shatibi. This is Tariqatul Maqasib. Shatibi, what did he use? What method? Maqasib the Sharia, the objectives of the Sharia. And we did talk about some of the objectives of the Sharia when we were doing Qawaid Al-Fiqiyah, right? Huh? We did when we were doing Qawaid Al-Fiqiyah by who? Who wrote the Qawaid Al-Fiqiyah that we studied? 
عبد الرحمن بن ناصر السعدي رايت يا Brothers, I've just summarized a thousand years of work. It's one thousand years of work. You just took it in just over an hour. How do you feel? Excited? You want to know more? Mm. You know, one of the hardest things to do when you're researching is to summarize all of that and sit. Those are the books that inshallah ta'ala you should aspire, work hard, exert your efforts to at least touch the pages. To buy the book and just touch the pages, at least, if you can't read it. Sahih, yes. My brothers, wallahi, work towards these works. You know what's shocking, wallahi, subhanallah. If some of these people came up today and they came back to life, a lot of us will not be able to respond to them. Like some of these Asha'ira and these Mu'tazila, the belief that they have with the way that they can put their arguments forward, the caliber of their knowledge and what they knew. And it's ajib that the only person who was able to, wallahi, who was able, who had the ability to respond to any and everybody without takalluf hardship was Shaykh al-Islam Taymiyyah. This man is ayah min ayatillahi azza wa jalla. You know, al-Akhna'i, Shaykh al-Islam, when he got imprisoned, he got put in prison. What they did is they took all his pens, they took all the pens from him, and they locked him into a room. And he was put in maximum security. And what's it called? Maximum? What's it called? What do they call it? Maximum what? Solitary confinement. Sqadarullah, no one knows how it happened, but he got, a, he got the pen and he got a paper. It came to him. And he refuted al akhnai from prison. You heard what he did? He's in prison. He has no books. He has no references. No Quran. No Mus'haf. No nothing. Everything has to respond. So the book was bought. He put it on one lap. And he put the other paper and the pen on the other lap. And he responded to it. He wrote the refutation. He got sent out. Al-Akhna'i was... He said to the leader, Did I not tell you? What's this man doing? Why is he writing from prison? Why are you allowing... Where did he get a pen from? إِلَى هَذَا الْحَدِّ some people used to wait for Ibn Taymiyyah to go to prison and they would say what they wanted. Just like how every country has border control. People, you know, border control. Because if you, the country doesn't have a border control, what happens? Anyone can come into the country, right? The religion, they have hurras. It has people who border it, who control it. And make sure no one can bring in what is not in it and take out what is from it. He came to the people of Iraq and Baghdad. He said, Ya Ahla Baghdad, oh the people of Baghdad, don't be scared. No one can change the hadith of the Prophet while I'm with you. While I'm alive and I'm amongst you, Darqutni saying this. Ya Ahla Baghdad, oh people of Baghdad, don't worry, I'm alive. Abdul Karim ibn Muljim, when he wrote a hadith and he got taken, he made up some hadith and he lied about the Prophet. The leader, he got him. And he confessed to all the crimes that he committed. Yeah, I made up hadith. He said, I lied about the Prophet. And you know what? He said, I wrote so much hadith. You guys will never be able to clear out. The leader laughed. He said, you fool. Abdul Rahman ibn Mahdi is alive. Abu Nu'ayn Fadl ibn Dukain is alive. These imams are alive. They're going to sit under those hadith and they're going to flock it out one after the other. 
You make up what you want. Laha rijal. It has its men. Sahih brothers. And they're going to take it. Abu Ishaq al-Fizari is alive. Abu Nu'im Fadl al-Dukain is alive. Abdurrahman ibn Mahdi is alive. Ahmad ibn Hanbal. These are, these are the imams that are going to take these ahadiths and they're going to rip apart everything that was said. Allah ta'ala honor those scholars who brought to us the religion as pure as it is. Wallahi, if those people didn't do that for us, brothers, our religion would have turned out to be like the religion of the Christians. Christians today, what happens in their church? They dance, they're singing, and they leave, and they walk out. Their religion turned out into dancing and jumping. It's like a disco. What made it like that? Because the early generation of their people did not stop the dim-witted ones who were tampering with the text. And they didn't have Shaykh al-Islam Taymiyyah in their religion, who was protecting it and looking after it and correcting it and purifying it. So now look at them, they're dancing. And that would happen in the religion. Everybody will take one thing out of the deen. One thing out of the deen. Everybody takes one thing out or places inside the religion one small thing. What's going to happen to it? Yeah, you can't change it later. Any other question? Allah Mubarak, really, huh? Uh, okay, if a person wants to study Usul al Fiqh books, how should they go about it? It was my plan to mention it at the ending. The first one is Al Warakat, of course. The person should try to take Al Warakat and study it. The next kitab that the person should do is the Al Usul min Ilm al Usul. Is good. By Ibn Uthaymin. Al Usul min Ilm Usul. The other one is the Rawdatul uh, Nadir. And if the person then goes for the uh, Kitab uh, Maraq al-Saud, if you do this for, 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 that's beautiful. So if you go for the Kitab al-Waraqat, and you do the Sharah of Abdullah ibn Salih al-Fawzan, Abdullah ibn Salih al-Fawzan, it's another person, it's not Sheikh Salih al-Fawzan, it's Abdullah ibn Salih, another one. And you go for the Kitab al-Usul min ilm al-Usul, Usul min ilm al-usul, Shaykh ibn Uthaymin himself has a sharah on it. He explained it himself. You get that one. Rawdatul Nadir wa Jannatul Munadir. There are many shuruh that have been put on it. I don't know the best one. I don't know the best sharah. I can't give you the best sharah. But whichever sharah you can find, remember all of these books, I personally will say, don't look at the sharah. Don't even buy a sharah. Buy the text. This is what happens to many students. They buy a two-volume book. You know, you're a student, you're a beginner. Do you want to learn the book or do you want to learn the explanation? Because the explanation is more kalam. Just buy the text and you know it's going to save you a lot of money. Just buy the text and go to a teacher and say, explain their text to me. Don't go into too much different issues. I want to understand what the author is saying here in this line. 
You do that for that book And that book And that book By the time you come to this book Which is a thousand lines I told you Maraqis Su'ud By the time you come here No doubt You can buy the Explanation Are we all together brothers? You can buy the explanation And look at it And compare it And cross check it And what not And wallahi The beauty about our religion Is that Our religion is not like a, A novel an academic book you just pick up and you just read it on the train and then you master that science and you can talk about it. Islam and this deen, it requires a tadarruj, gradual stage. You start from this one, next one, next one, next one. By the time you reach here, you will understand a lot of sciences. One of the reasons why we're suffering today as a nation, as an ummah, by people just giving weird and strange fatwas, is you can really see they lack manhajiya. They were not gradual in their seeking of knowledge. They ripped one page from this book, and they ripped another page from this book, and they ripped a page from another book, and that's it. What do you have? You have ripped pages. And you want to give verdict based on that? Do you see my point? It's important at tadarruj. That you go to a person who knows the science And you say teach me I tell you every science There are different people who mastered it You say to them look You are good in uh, usul al-fiqh Can you teach me it? There are two chapters in usul al-fiqh If you give your life and your heart to it You will enjoy yourself It's the most You see It's al-amru wa nahi The command and the prohibitions That's the two once you study all the other points, like in these two, the command and the prohibition, because that's the whole religion, is it not? Somebody spending so much time shurutul mufti wal mustafti is good, like in al amr wal nahi. Al um is fiqh. Al um is more of a fiqh book. It's an encyclopedia in fiqh. Naam, like in. It was written after again. And Imam Shafi'i wrote a risala twice, you know that, right? There was the first one and the second one. The first one was before that. And the second one was in Egypt. The second one he wrote it in Egypt. The first one we haven't seen it. No one knows where it is. But we've seen this. The first one, the first one is lost. The first Al-Risala. We have the second version that he wrote. Like in Shafi'i, he, he beauty, Wallahi, the brothers, this science, the more you study it, the more you realize, honestly, you'll be touched by how our religion is preserved. Sarahatan, brothers. And you start to appreciate the scholars and their hard work and how much effort that they put in. You start to appreciate it. No, 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 not at all. Just al warqat I did it here. Yeah, just we, we did. Yeah, we finished it. The Dora last December. He did al warqat 
ها تفضل You see, this is one of the quotes that really touched me that the ulama used to say. They said, Al-ilmu, knowledge was a dot. That's what it is. The ignorant people came and they went. And now you're hearing 20 views. One of the things that also amazed me was the statement of Al-Imam Al-Shatibi. Shatibi said, the people say the scholars differed in this issue. Shatibi said, no, we all agree. People are adding ignorant people on the scale and they're saying the scholars differed. Where the haqq? If you actually go up the ladder, you find that some people who are being said, اختلف العلماء, the scholars have differed in this issue. If you look at research, you actually find they did not. But it's because ignorant people are being added People are not able to identify who is a scholar and who isn't. The truth to this is, a lot of us don't go up the ladder. Like if your local imam gives an answer, or that's it, you feel like that's the qawlun qati'un, that's it, there's nothing. And so you think because of his statement, and the other, imam, and the other masjid in front of your the masjid, the other fatwa he gave you, you think the whole entire world have differed. No, it's not. And so I can really say the reason why there is great disagreement and differences is because if the one who doesn't know was silent, the differences would be little. If the one who doesn't know was to be quiet and leave this issue alone and not talk about it and not indulge, we would have less differences. And that's what we're having. People who don't know are talking. And to be really honest with you, seeking knowledge is a long, long road. You can see all of those books. That's your whole life. So some people, they looked at the road, they said, A'udhu Billah. A'udhu Billah. This is long. How can I go about? How can I, you know, how can I be there but not go, not, but not take that road? And the way that they found was what? Google. Go to Google. Write a couple of sentences, bam, two, three hadiths, put them, jumble them together, and say, This is this, what are you talking about, brother? This is the view. But, yeah, legacy, this is a legacy. Another thing Imam Shatibi said, he said, knowledge was fi sudur rijal. Knowledge used to be in the hearts of men. 
before knowledge. The reason why the Sahaba, less they differed, is because the one who knew he had it in his chest, the one who never knew, what can he say? It's not available for him to read. So he has to come to the scholars. It was in their hearts. But then what the scholars wrote that knowledge into books, it got available for everybody. And so everyone came and he started reading. But what did they forget? Shatibi said that the keys are still in the hand of those scholars. They're the only ones who can unlock that for you. That key to those doors and those knowledge is in their hands. They thought because they have the book, they don't need to go to the scholars. You do. You won't understand what's being said here. Another reason why there's difference of opinion and whatnot is fanaticism to, to, towards individuals. Your imam cries in the salah, he cries in maghrib, he cries in isha. He's a very emotional person. He's a very raqiq, obedient, nice, kind. And so this became a scale to, to take his fatwa in everything. He might be a righteous man that doesn't dismiss it. He might be an upright, noble individual. But he's not a faqih. And this is not his field of expertise. So because people couldn't determine all of that, and so they become fanatic. Okay, how are you talking about him? Do you know the brother, what he does? He dedicated his life for the ummah. There's no denying about that. But this is not his field of expertise. Um, and last but not least, the only way that we can clear our difference of opinion and whatever we differ on, our Prophet already told us, Wallahi, 1,400 and something years ago. You know what he said? He said, إِنَّهُ مَنْ يَعِشْ مِنْكُمْ Whoever from amongst you lives, is going to see a lot of difference of opinion. Isn't that what we're seeing right now? Are we not? Ramadan, are you going to pay 22 rak'ah or 11? Huh? That's going to come up, right? It's going to come up. Everybody's getting ready. As soon as Ramadan comes, the question comes. And based on that, love and hate is going to be based on it. Whoever from amongst you live, he will see a lot of difference of opinion. But what did the Prophet tell us to do? How, how, how should we overcome this difference of opinion? Huh? Stick to my sunnah and the sunnah of the rightly guided khulafa. Repeat that one more time. Nabiullah Muhammad saying, you guys are going to differ. That's hatmulazm, you can't deny that. But when that happens, say Allah said, and the messenger said, and Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali said. We're all together, brothers. You see, brothers, any issue, Ibn Shahab al-Zuhri said, any speech, the people of Badr did not say it, don't give it no consideration. Allah is pleased. Allah is pleased with these people. The people of Badr, Allah said to them, do you know what Allah said to them? Do whatever you wish. Allah has forgiven you guys. The people of Badr. Are we all together, brothers? And you, you have a view, you're telling me a view, and we can't find any Sahabi that said that view. Pay attention to this point. You're telling me a view right now. I'm hearing it from you. And we don't see any Sahabi who ever said this. Isn't this not worrying? Brothers, no Sahabi said it. And you're saying it to me right now. That's wrong. 
So if the Sahabas have five views in an issue, five views, there's five different aqwal from the Sahabas. Choose whichever you, th- you think from those five. Don't, don't create a sixth one. You're not allowed to bring a sixth view. You look at those five views that are already put on the play- table. Why? Because there's consensus only on five. There's consensus on what? On five views only. Within those five, whichever you take, one is right. But we still respect you because you're still holding on to a view of a companion. Brothers, live your life like that. When somebody says, Qala Allahu, Allah said, and the messenger said, Oh, you say, you're waiting when he says, Qala Allah. You don't know much fiqh. You never studied usul fiqh. No waraqat. No, no, none of these books. Just, just, just let him finish. Let him read the ayah. Let him read the hadith. When he finishes, you say, who said it from sahabas? That's all. Then you realize who's real and who's not. Who understood this ayah that you just read to me right now? The way the sahabas understood. You know what the Khawarij did? Khawarij, they went to an imam, Abdullah ibn Khabbab, the son of a companion. And what did they do to his wife? They brought his wife's stomach. She was pregnant. His wife was pregnant. And they took out the baby. And they ripped out the womb. And they threw the baby out, the Khawarij. The modern day ISIS at that time. They took out the womb of it and they, you know what? You know what their delil was? They had a delil. وَقَالُوا لَا تَذَرُنَّ آلِيَاتَكُمْ وَلَا تَذَرُنَّ No. رَبِّ لَا تَذَرْ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ مِنَ الْكَافِرِينَ دَيَّارَ إِنَّكَ إِنْ تَذَرْهُمْ يُذِلُّ عِبَادَكَ وَلَا يَلِدُ إِلَّا فَاجِرًا كَفَارًا وَلَا يَلِدُ إِلَّا فَاجِرًا كَفَارًا Nabi Allah said, oh Allah, destroy them all. Get rid of all of these people because they're not going to give birth except to what? Qawarij brought an ayah to use this issue. What's the problem? I'm asking you guys a question, what's the problem? What did they do wrong? Who understood this ayah like this? Where did this understanding come from? So whenever you hear a person not wanting to take the Qur'an back to the Sahabas, is he wants to open every evil group to say what they want about the Qur'an. The Rafidah, what did they say? Inna Allah ya'murukum an tazbahu. They said, Inna Allah ya'murukum an tazbahu bakara. Allah has commanded you to slaughter the cow. They said, Inna Allah ya'murukum an tazbahu bakara. Bakara is Aisha. That's in their tafsir book. Hayya. Question here is, who said this? Where did this come from? Where's the meaning of this? I'm, 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 do you see it, brothers? Fahmu sahaba the understanding of the companion, it narrows down for any group not to come and say whatever they want from the Quran and the Sunnah. And we'll be saved. That's why many groups today, they say we need to reform Islam. Islam needs to be reformed just like Christianity got reformed. And get rid of those violent verses. No, no, we don't need that. Because we already have the companions who put everything in context for us. We just have to go back to their understanding. Does that make sense? Are we all together, brothers? Anyone who wants to open the Quran just like that, without the companions, will let ISIS and groups like that live. They'll say, ISIS will be happy. Thanks. Thank you very much. You want this ayah to be open like that with no sahabas? They will use those verses to use it in a despicable way. Are we all together? So whenever somebody gives you a Quranic verse or a hadith, all you say, as a Muslim, who wants Jannah? You say, Sahaba to Rasulullah. If there was any good, the Sahabas will precede us in it. Where did they say this? I promise you, this is when you see, you see the person who's sticking to the, the, the Sahaba and the right way, and the person who's making up the evidences as he wants. Does that make sense? Umar, what did he say? 
He said, Jadilu. Debate with the people of innovation. Bisunani. Use the sunnah of the Prophet. The people of the sunnah are the ones who know the Quran more than anybody else. So when a person brings you ayah, say what hadith goes in line with it. Once he gives you the hadith, say who understood the hadith and the ayah together like this, you'll be saved. I promise you. Allah mentioned, I'm going to conclude with one last point. Allah mentioned in an ayah, pay attention please. Allah said, everyone has heard this ayah, but I just want to write it down so it becomes more clearer. Allah said, What did Allah say after that? Jameel. Are you guys, who here is from the Muhajirin? Anyone here is from the Sahaba to Muhajirin? Is anyone here from the Muhajirin at the time of the Prophet? No. Is anyone from the Ansar? Allah mentioned a third group. Those who followed them. You're either Muhajir or you're Ansar or you're those who follow them. Three options only. Then Allah says, Allah is pleased with them. Who is Allah pleased with? Huh? Allah is only He's pleased with those three. Three, three, three. Who said two? Allah, He said, I'm pleased with these, three of them. The Sahaba to Muhajireen and the Ansar and those who follow them. If you don't follow them, Allah is not pleased with you. Does that not, does that not make sense, brothers? So are you Ansar? Are you Muhajireen? Or are you Ladina Tab'un? That's all you have. No other option. Subhanakallah, bihamdik, ashadu la ilaha illallah, astaghfiruka tu bilik. Huh? It got postponed uh, July, right? July, uh, the Kitab al-Fitan got pushed back uh, for technical reasons, unforeseen circumstances. That's June or July? We'll notify you, inshallah ta'ala, the most convenient time. Yeah, we're going to be talking about a lot of that. A lot of, uh, Subhanallah. May Allah protect us. May Allah protect us. May Allah protect us. Sahih, Sahih. Kitab al Fitan, Sah, Sah, Sah. May Allah, may Allah give us safety and Iman. Hmm. I mean it reached a point where a person believed Look at the devious Look at the evil of the khawarij It reached a point Billahi alaykum By Allah I ask you guys Can somebody actually believe that the Prophet Sallallahu cousin Who he promised him Jannah while he was alive Ali was told that in Jannah While he's alive he's going to go to Jannah And Uthman was told while he was alive And a man is getting closer to Allah by killing Ali and Uthman Billahi alaykum he thinks he's going to go to Jannah by killing them. Ali said to him, what do you want from me? I'm a Muslim, what do you want from me? Well, the Prophet ﷺ told us already that the khawarij, every time they pop up, they'll be destroyed. And they'll pop up, and they'll be destroyed. And then the Prophet, you know what he said? 
until the last of the Khawarij, they're going to be with Dajjal. The last of the Khawarij are going to be with Dajjal. Dajjal. They're going to come out with Dajjal. Because you know what? They, the, these groups, ISIS like them, are, are, you know what they feed off? Propaganda. And uh, Dajjal is a propagandist. That's what he's going to do. He's going to spread news and lie and whatnot. According to one view. Sheikh Ibn Abbas believed the Khawarij were Kuffar. Sheikh Ibn Abbas used to say they're Kuffar. Huh? I am, you know, there's a difference of views. But I believe that they are Muslims. As Ali ibn Abi Talib said, he said, they are Muslims, but they transgressed on us. That doesn't mean they're good Muslims. I just mentioned they are Muslims who should be fought against by the Muslim leader. He should kill them where, where he sees them. Because what did the Prophet say about the Khawarij? He said, لَإِنْ أَدَرَكْتُمْ If I see the Khawarij and I reach them, لَأَقْتُلَنَّهُمْ قَتْلَ عَاد I will kill them like the people of Ad. What did Allah say about the people of Ad? Allah said, فَهَلْ تَرَى لَهُمْ مِنْ بَاقِيَةِ Did you see any remaining of the people of Ad? In other words, I will make sure the last man from the Khawarij will be dead. I won't leave them. Whilst the Messenger ﷺ was dividing the disbelievers into two, some he fought and some he had contract with. The Khawarij he never said, I'm going to have contract with them. He said, I'm going to fight them all. All of them. Because they are a cancer. You know where they started from? A man who said to the Prophet ﷺ, Muhammad, be just, you're not being just. I was reading. First of all, I just want to say one important topic. These type of issues. The best people to go back to are not these matters. As a Muslim, one of the things that I wanted to go through in Kitab al-Fitan is when these issues happen, brothers, don't talk. Don't write anything. Don't say a word. Because our Prophet sallallahu commanded us and Allah instructed us that matters of security and matters of safety are not left for the general mass and the students of knowledge. These issues are taken back to the senior, white-bearded, white-bearded, senior scholars. And they are consulted. Who will not just look at the issue from a knowledge-based angle, but they will use their experience and their knowledge and their insight to determine what can be said and what can't be said. And this is, the, this is why we're suffering, that everyone wants to say something. And everyone wants to put something out there. Allah said in the Quran, وَإِذَا جَاءَهُمْ أَمْرٌ مِنَ الْأَمْنِ أَوِ الْخَوْفِ أَدَاعُ بِهِ وَلَوْ رَدُّوهُ إِلَى الرَّسُولِ وَإِلَىٰ أُولِي الْأَمْرِ مِنْهُمْ لَعَلِمَهُ الَّذِينَ اسْتَنْبِطُونَهُ مِنْهُمْ That if they took these issues back to the people of knowledge and they asked them, they said, what do you say? If you see the scholars being silent, لِحِكْمَةٍ سَكَتُوهُ For a wisdom they chose to be silent. And don't suspect them because they went silent because they're scared. Wisdom they were silent because they saw that speaking here now could cause a greater problem. So this is my advice. Don't go and involve in talking about it, commenting on it, saying your words. Just look at for the fatwa of the ulama and what they said. If you can spread their fatwa, wherever those scholars are, 
whoever in the world that they are, their fatwa, spread it and do that. Don't say anything. Especially none of us are from the people of Ijtihad. And these issues are minan nawazil. So it's for the ulama to determine what should be done here and what shouldn't be done. I always want people to remember that. The second thing that I also want to say is that I don't know what I was going to say. Now, those issues should be left for the people of knowledge and they should determine what is needed and what should be done and what should be said. I really want to stress on that issue. I'm not trying to be humble or anything. Like in, my, knowledge doesn't, my knowledge does not reach that. My knowledge does not reach that. I don't know that. I can't answer questions like that. And people send me these kind of questions. And it's sad that we reached a time where people will ask you questions of that weight. It shows that it's sad. This needs a, for the people of Badr to come together to answer it. Umar radiallahu anhu said, some people, they answer question. If the people of Badr were alive, they would come together to answer it. Umar radiallahu anhu said that. People give a verdict, fatwa, and an answer in an issue that, it, that the people of Badr, Badr, the ulama of Badr, will be brought together and they would come with a fatwa from this issue. So be careful, wallahi, what you say, what you do when you speak about these issues, when you talk about issues of safety and security. We were taught. The Prophet said in a hadith, there's going to be a fitna. Al-Qa'imu, the one who's standing, khayru min al-sa'i is better than the one who's walking to it. Wal-Qa'idu khayru min al-Qa'imi. And the one who's sitting is better than the one who's standing. The Prophet said, man tasharrafa. Anyone who presents himself to the fitna, it will present itself to you. Fitna, you don't talk. Fitna, what do you not do? When the issue of Ali ibn Abi Talib, uh, sorry, Ali, no, Ali ibn Abi Talib and Muawiyah took place, Usama ibn Zaydin, Ali met him. Ali met Usama. And Ali and Usama, they grew up together. He saw him. He said to him, why did you not help me? Why were you not with me? Why did you forsake me? Osama learned a lesson at the time of the Prophet. What was the lesson he learned? He killed a man that said, La ilaha illallah, right? Did he not? A man said, La ilaha illallah, and he was fighting, and a man said, La ilaha illallah. Osama thought that this man was trying to run away. فقتله, he killed the man. And then he went to the Prophet and he told him, Ya Rasulullah, I fought this man, and he said, La ilaha illallah, but I still killed him. The Prophet ﷺ said, what are you going to do with La ilaha when it comes to the Day of Judgment? A person is saying, La ilaha, you killed him. What will you say the Day of Judgment when you meet Allah Azza wa Jalla? So Osama learned from that incident. After that, he, wouldn't, he doesn't want to get caught up in any fitna. So when the issue of Muawiyah and Ali happened, Osama stayed as far from it as possible. So when Ali asked him this question, he said to him, Ali, Wallahi law dakhalta. By Allah, if you went into the cheek of a lion, if you went to the mouth of a lion, I would go in it with you. But this issue, I'm not going to participate with you. This fitna, I have, I'm not going to involve myself in it. I could see what's taking place. People are killing each other. It's bloodshed. Are you with me, brothers? So, the point I want to say is that when the fitness happened in Islam, and I remind you this, brothers, when the fitness happened in Islam, after the fitna went, Allah raised the people and humiliated the people. 
Every fitna that happened, Allah raised the people and humiliated the people. You know who got raised? The ones who didn't participate. And every individual who participated into a fitna, Allah humiliated them after when the fitna went. Are we all together, brothers? Don't let, don't ever let a statement that you say, a word that you wrote somewhere, word that came out of your mouth to be ever used for any fitna. Be quiet. It's got nothing to do with me. Go to the ulama, go to the senior people, ask them, what, take, what, take their fatwas from, from them. Please don't involve me. I don't, why do I have to talk about it? What's it to do with me? Are we all together, brothers? See, the, the, the innovation la shaka, is of different levels. They're not the same. There's a bid'ah which is mukaffara, a person becomes a kafir. And there's a bid'ah bid'a mufassaqah, a person is a fasiq. The khawarij, there's a dispute whether they're Muslims or kafir. And it's a legitimate dis- dis- disagreement. Some of the salaf believe the khawarij are kuffar. Based on the statement of the Prophet, They leave the religion the way the arrow leaves the, the bow. That's, this is the issue of kufr. Like, what, what, what arrow are they leaving? Islam. And they're becoming... Ibn Baz said they're kuffar, they're not Muslims. The khawarij are what? They are kuffar. Some of the salaf, they said they're not kuffar, they're Muslims. Lakin, they are Muslims that are fought because they are cancer in the community. They should be arrested and beaten and killed, whatever the leader sees fit. This is the aqwal of the salaf. Rahimahumullah. May Allah be pleased with them. And then there comes innovations which are less than that. The khawarij, Five bid'ah are the worst The Murj, the Mu'tazila, the Khawarij And the uh, The Jahmiya and the Qadariya Those, are the, those four Those are Ru'us Ahlil Bid'ah There's nothing like them The Khawarij, Jahmiya The Qadariya And the Mu'tazila These are the, the fathers of innovation This is where everybody came from Somehow they would stand back to one of these four. All the other 72, 72 groups. Now. That's what we said. We don't generally go to those books. We generally read these books, which all of them got rid of what was in it from wrong, right from wrong. Here, by the time you reach this and you study these books, you know what's right from what's wrong. Everything, anything that you read extra to that, is you're learning the evil that they have in them. These are good books. Pure, good, usul fiqh books. Does that make sense? And then you, can, then you should go to these books and read them to see the evil that's in some of the misguided groups. Learning the evil so you can know it and be careful. Brothers, I'm tired standing. I want to go home. Can we call it a day? Barakallahu feekum. Jazakumullah khair.